welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. But I'm, I'm so I'm so glad that we are here together, um, worshiping together, and I, I know that sometimes we come in here and we plan services like this. And I know I've, I said it before here in the service, uh, but sometimes we do we plan services like this, um, and sometimes we come in week in week out, and we expect the service to go a particular way, and we expect the service to go in a certain order. Uh, but thank God. Uh, that he shakes things up a little bit, right? Amen? Uh, because uh, <laughs> it's not about our order of service. Uh, thank you, that helped out a lot. Um, it's not about our order of service. It's not about how we come in here and we sit in the same seats. It's not about how we come in here and we, and, and, and we just uh, uh, go through routine week after week after week. Uh, but God uh, likes to mix things up a little bit because it's not about us. It's not about our routine. It's not about our same seats. It's not about our um, uh, how, how smoothly things transition and things go, but it's about Him. It's about glorifying and, and magnifying God this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to do just that, uh, turning into the Word, because uh, for the second time in the road that I've preached, uh, I'm going to show some things on the screen, which is not like normal. Uh, but uh, I don't give notes on the screen. I don't give pictures on the screen normally. But today, I think it would be really helpful as we end up um, in, at the end of Paul's second missionary journey. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 18. We've been following Paul and his team on this second missionary journey. Uh, and if you remember, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, he was trying to go uh, to Asia Minor. He was trying to go to places like Colossae. He was trying to go to places like Ephesus. He was trying to go to places like uh, Laodicea to Thyatira. He was trying to go to those places. But the Spirit of the Lord uh, did not allow him to go into those places. And he directed them up. He had no clue where he was going. He just kept going. And his plan was to go, plan B was to go to Bithynia and, and Pontus, uh, which is uh, an a area in northern uh, uh, the, the northern area there, which would be northern Turkey today. And so his plan was to go up into there, but again, the Spirit of God would not allow him to go in. And so they sailed across the Aegean Sea to uh, Macedonia, to a place called Philippi. And they ministered in Philippi. Um, and then last week we saw that he had left Philippi. He went down to Thess- Thessalonica. These places sound familiar, right? Because you have books of the Bible named after Philippians, Thessalonians, right? So he goes to a place called Thessalonica, um, and he's, uh, he has to sneak out by night. Uh, and he goes to a place called Berea, um, and, and, and he's, he's, he's well-received there, but some Jews come up from Thessalonica and kind of drive him out. And then he goes down to Athens, and, uh, and then last week we saw him, he was still in Athens, and so today we are going down further south into Greece to a place that you uh, are probably familiar with. It's a place called Corinth. Um, our letters of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is written to this church that Paul starts here in these passages of Scripture. So I want to write, just start off by reading verse 1, and it's like an easy verse. He's going to be coming into Corinth. I'm ruining it. All right. So 
Acts chapter 18, starting verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. Like I said, a very simple verse. But we can't gloss over that because he leaves Athens, he comes to Corinth. Now, I've already told you that uh, I, was, uh, I gave you some maps and, uh, uh, and I gave you some pictures. I'm giving you some pictures today. So I'm controlling this for my phone, uh, BT dubs. All right. And, and I'm going to click on this first map. All right. All right. It worked. All right. So this is the map of where Paul is, is coming at today. Do you see Athens on the right part of the screen? For those who can see the screen well, do you see Athens on the right part of the screen? That's where he's coming from. And he goes down to Corinth. Now, why, am I, why in the world am I showing you this map? Because it is very important to understand the context in which Paul is ministering here. He goes down from Athens, and you see that little land bridge right there? That is considered Corinth. Now, Corinth has a ton of foot traffic. Do you understand why? From northern Greece to southern Greece right there, that people would travel on foot, and it funnels down into Corinth. And then also, if you're traveling from the south going north, guess where you have to go through if you're traveling on foot? You have to go through Corinth. So Corinth is a very, very uh, trafficked place. It has a lot of people just going and coming and doing this. Not only is the foot traffic heavy in Corinth, but the, the boat traffic is heavy through Corinth. Well, how can it be? Because that's a, that's a solid landmass there. There's no canal that runs through that, that isthmus right there, that land bridge right there. I'm going to show you uh, what would happen. See, what would happen is from the northwest, ships would come down. I know I'm giving you some boring history here, but hopefully you find it interesting. Uh, they come down from the, t- from the northwest there. And ships come down, and instead of traveling hundreds of miles, if they're going to Syria, if they're even going down to Egypt, if they're going down to, um, to, to Asia Minor, um, they would have to travel around that huge landmass right there at the southern part of Greece, uh, around Olympia, around Sparta, all that, uh, at the southern landmass of the group. That would, that would add days to weeks to a trip if you're, if you're, if you're carrying cargo. Days or weeks to a trip. So instead, what would happen is you see that little, that gulf right there above Corinth? I'm going to zoom in on it. All right, so you have that gulf there above Corinth. And what would happen is uh, a lot of trade ships would dock there. They would go into that gulf, and they would dock there at Corinth. And what they would do is they would unload their cargo, walk six miles across that little land bridge right there, and get onto another ship and bring their cargo there. And guess where they would make the pit stops at? Maybe maybe guess where they would stay overnight at? In Corinth. You have a lot of traffic there in Corinth. And if you were rich enough, you could dock your ship there in Corinth and get them to get your ship out of the water, put it on rollers, and roll six miles across that land bridge to go to the other side of the sea. It would save them days and weeks in their trips there. And so they're here. They're here in Corinth. Got another little map there. They're here in Corinth. Um, and, and they, uh, Paul is walking into the city and guess what? Because it has so much traffic here in the city, you guys with me? I don't want to bore you with history, but I think this is important to understand what Paul is walking into before he walks into there. So with a a land, with a a bunch of traffic from literally all over the known world at this time, with a bunch of traffic going through there, Corinth is the place of the latest fads. Like, they're the, they're, the, they're the place of the latest cultural updates. They're the, they're the place of, of, of the latest cultural fads. And not only that, they've got a lot of money. A lot of revenue coming in from these ships. A lot of revenue coming in from this foot traffic. 
of, of tourism and, and, and places like that, uh, things like that, of people just passing through. Uh, in fact, they rival Thebes and Athens in their, in their monetary wealth. And so I want you to get this picture. You have a very cultural, um, with it type city. All right? Now think about that in our day. A very cultural type, with it type culture. Um, a very contextually, um, uh, uh, we're up to the latest fads type culture, right? Um, and so think about the equivalent maybe in our day. Uh, maybe somewhere out in Los Angeles uh, might have the latest fads of our day. Or maybe somewhere up in New York City might have the latest fads in our day. I say all this to say to give you an idea of what Paul is walking into here. And Paul is not walking into it with a group of people. No, he is, he is traveling, remember, with two other guys. It's Paul, Silas, and Timothy at this time. However, when Paul leaves Athens, if you look back up in, in chapter 17, he leaves Timothy and Silas to go check on the churches that they just planted. So one of them goes up to Thessalonica to check on the church. One of them goes all the way back up to Macedonia to Philippi to check on the church. Paul is entering this city alone, and he's entering it through uh, uh, by himself. And so here's some pictures, all right, of, of I don't have any pictures of, of, of first century Corinth. I'm sorry. Um, I don't think they took very many pictures back then. All right, so um, uh, there's some ruins of, of Corinth. I want to show you this one. This is what Corinth, this is the ruins of Corinth. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a bigger city here. Uh, it's, it's close to the sea. Remember, it's a six-mile land bridge. I want to show you another picture right here. Uh, this is that, those, those columns that are standing up are, um, uh, are, is the temple to Apollos. Uh, and that was one of their best, city, their best uh, temples in, uh, in the whole city and their most extravagant uh, buildings in the whole city. And then this one right, right here. Yeah, there we go. That is a road. Guys, that road was built like 2,000 years ago, all right? And we got some bad... We need... Whoever constructed these roads, they need to construct those roads here in New Orleans, right? They, 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 a couch ain't fitting into that pothole right there. Um, or a chair's not fitting into that pothole right there. Uh, so uh, this is a, a, a very cool road that leads all the way up. But do you notice something that is in common with all three of these pictures? Uh, let me show them again. Uh, this one, that one, and that one. Do you notice what's in common? The mountain. The mountain is in common. There's something special about this mountain. I promise I'm getting into the scripture, okay? I promise you. I just want to give you an adequate background so that you understand what Paul's walking into. So he's walking into this culturally um, uh, with it city, this culturally um, uh, uh, popular, uh, you know, I'm cool, hip, you know, uh, type city. And he's walking into that. Uh, and, 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 and he's walking into this very rich city, this very like populated city, it's all going on. And then you have this mountain right here. Uh, and the Corinth, the Corinthians believed, um, that the goddess, uh, Aphrodite protected them. All right. Um, in fact, they had three temples dedicated to Aphrodite, Aphrodite throughout Corinth and their major temple dedicated to Aphrodite was, you guess where, on top of that mountain. On top of that mountain. So as Paul is walking in, it's just, now when I say Aphrodite, you know who Aphrodite is, right? She's the goddess of love. And I put love in quotation marks because it's not like love that we think of uh, as, as Christians. This is uh, love like sexual immorality. Um, this is love like um, uh, fertility. This is love like, um, uh, you know, lust. Things like this. 
So they, you, can, you can imagine, three temples dedicated to this goddess. The main one up on this mountain where everyone can see. And you can imagine the immorality that's happened in the city. It's bad. It's really bad. In fact, they had a phrase back in that day, the Corinthian way was the phrase, and it spoke of immorality. If you were to say that about somebody, uh, that was an insult because it's a very immoral uh, type description. And so Paul is walking to the city. I want you to get it. He's walking into it alone. No one there. He has not had, by world standards, great success so far since he's passed the Aegean Sea. In Philippi, a handful of converts. In Thessalonica, he has to sneak out by the cover of night in order to not get, not get arrested and get killed. In Berea, oh yeah, it, 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 at first it's pretty good, but then you have some Jews that come up from Thessalonica to persecute Paul, so he has to run away from that. In Athens, he's in the square and he's, and he's, he's speaking of the gospel and there are a few people that are interested, but many, many mock him. So he's not having very much success. He's downtrodden and he's scared. Well, how do you know he's scared? Because we know this from, from uh, uh, the, the, the letter that he writes to the Corinthians. He says, when I, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he comes to him and he says, he says, when I first came among you, it was with much fear and much trembling. So imagine this guy who walks into a very immoral city, a very immoral situation. He is trembling, and he walks in across probably this road, and he sees this mountain with this massive temple on the top that is dedicated to the God of sexual immorality and lust. And there's immorality all throughout the city. Would you relate to that, living in an immoral culture? Would you say our culture is pretty much... Moral, or would you say that our culture is getting increasingly immoral? Yeah. So the point is today, and this is my, <laughs> this is my central idea of the text here, is that Paul, in the face of fear, did not stop gospel work. And my hope for you this morning is that through the hearing of this message, that even in your face of immorality, that you, as a Christian, as a believer would not stop gospel work. And I'm going to give you five, you guessed it, reflective questions that you can ask yourself. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see a, 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 a insert like this. This is your note-taking thing. It's a pen in a, in a seat in front of you. Um, take some notes. Write these questions down because these are self-reflecting questions. Like I said, I've been on the self-reflecting question kick for several months now, and I'm going to continue on it until the Lord leads me off of it. So, you guys ready for the first self-reflecting question? Anybody? Amen? All right. The first self-reflecting question is this. Who are you working with? Who are you working with? Question number one. Who are you working with? In a culture of immorality, whether it's at your school whether it's at your uh, place of work, whether it's in your social circles or your city or the people that you hang out with, I guarantee you, you probably all come, come across immoral, immorality, and, 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 immorality and, and people that, um, that don't believe in the Lord. Am I right? All right. I don't think we live in a bubble here in New Orleans. I think that we, uh, that, that, that we experience this. And I want to relate this to, to Paul's experience. Let's look in chapter 18, verse 2. Here we go. Chapter 18, verse 2, it says this. And he found a Jew 
named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Now, let's stop right there. He came from where? Pontus. All right, what, what do we know about Pontus? That is one, th- one place that, that Paul was restricted by the Holy Spirit to go. He has already met in Philippi a woman from Thyatira, another place he was restricted to go back in the early, back in the early second missionary journey. He is now uh, meeting this other person uh, from this other place that he was restricted to go. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, but he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. Now, the reason that Claudius uh, commanded all the Jews to leave Rome is because the Jews were causing a stirring, an uprising. Uh, not a revolt, uh, but they were, they were stirring up some commotion. And I just want to talk briefly about that commotion because I think it's really important to know that Priscilla and Aquila are already believers at this point. Are already believers at this point. You see, Christianity was considered a sect of Judaism back then by the Romans. Uh, they thought that Christians... Uh, we're just another, like, uh, uh, a section of Jews uh, uh, with a different beliefs, so slightly different beliefs. And so uh, this, this commotion that's being caused in Rome is about this guy uh, named Crestus. Uh, about this guy named Crestus. And it's one letter off, and most scholars believe uh, that Crestus is actually Christus, uh, which in Greek is Christ. Uh, so they think that this commotion is being stu- A lot of scholars think that the commotion in Rome is actually being stirred up by Christians. Not like they're revolting or anything, but that the Jews are butting heads with these Christians. And so Claudius has enough of it, and Claudius says, get out of here. I don't want you in Rome. So Priscilla and Aquila happen to be some believers in Rome at that point. And they are cast out, and they go to Corinth, of all places. They are, are leather workers, are tent makers, as you can see. And in in, in 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 this passage of scripture, and we'll see what Paul does to uh, Paul does with him. So, verse three, and because he was of the same trade, Paul was of the same trade. He stayed with them and he worked, uh, for they were tent makers, um, or that word actually means leather makers uh, by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. Now, Paul walks into the city. He walks into it afraid. He walks into it alone. He walks into it uh, with fear and trembling, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He walks into it with fear and trembling. But God is so gracious that he provides other believers there that happen to work in the same trade that he does in order for a connection to form. He stays with them. And they, they, they do ministry together in Corinth as they work, as they work. Now, I don't think many of you are in vocational ministry. I think that a lot of you do have jobs that you go to. A lot of you have places that you go to. A lot of your places that you work at or a lot of schools that you go to or a lot of wherever you frequent probably has immorality running rampant or people that don't know Jesus uh, uh, right out. Um, but sometimes God provides for us a fellow believer that we can link arms with. I had this experience whenever I worked at the hospital in Baton Rouge. This was a respiratory therapist. Um, they had, uh, of course, my father-in-law was there for, for a little while uh, as a respiratory therapist. And uh, he, was a, he was a strong, strong Christian. Um, but also knew some other people from my department that were strong Christians and, and a lot of lost people that didn't know Christ. 
Um, and so uh, what we did was we linked up together <laughs> and we talked together. Now, I'm not saying we, we, we shunned everybody else, but the reason that we were so close together, uh, our Christian band of people, is that we could pray for other people in our workplace, that we could pray for other people that did not know the Lord. Look, guys, sometimes you are faced with this uh, immoral situation and this horrible situation that you wish you could get yourself out of. Link yourself up with other believers. Pray for those who don't know Jesus Christ because God has sent you where you are at on mission. We're going to talk, talk about that in just a second. But um, let's, let's, let's continue on. Um, what about you? Um, have you identified Christians in your place? Have you identified other believers that you can link with, that you can pray with? And I'm not talking about just other Baptists. I'm talking about evangelical Christians in your area. Look, a lot of people in our little group at the hospital, uh, most, I think I was the only Baptist <laughs> amongst them. Most of them were non-denominational. And we had one that was uh, Methodist. And we had one that was Presbyterian. That we got together and we, and, and we prayed for people. And so, guys, you can't underestimate the power of linking up with other believers, evangelical believers, to pray for the lost in the place that God has set you. Who are you working with? Who are you working alongside for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Number two, this is the second question. Who are you working on? Who are you working on? Let's read verses 5 through 8. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, they finally caught up to Paul. Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now, on, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. We see Paul, or we see, uh, uh, we see here that Paul um, is preaching, and Silas and Timothy arrived back from Macedonia to the churches. And this is greatly encouraging to Paul. Not only does Paul walk into the city alone, and God encourages them with people, Christians that are already there. But he encourages them with Timothy and Silas coming back from the churches he just planted. And they give good news to him. They say, these churches are doing well. They're growing. And they even bring a monetary gift to Paul from the Philippians, as we find out in Paul's epistles. They bring a monetary gift from the Philippians to Paul where he does not have to worry about tent making or leather working. And he can focus solely on preaching the gospel. Right? So he does his normal routine. He goes into a city, and where does he go first? He goes to the synagogue. And he goes to the Jews, and he says, look, look, you've heard that there's a Messiah. This is what the Jews believe. You heard that there's a Messiah coming. I'm here to tell you that the Messiah, the Christ, has already come. Jesus of Nazareth has already come, and he has, has come to live a perfect life for his people in place of his people. He has come to die for his people in place of his people. And he has rose from the dead to conquer death so that anybody who believes in him, in this Messiah, in this Christ, will live forever. And a lot of the Jews, they laugh at him. And they ridicule him. And they mock him. All except for one Jew that happens to be the ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, who believes. And we have this God-fearer named Titius Justus 
who happens to live next door by the synagogue. And he comes to faith. So Paul said, look, you Gentiles, like you, you ha- or you Jews, you have rejected the message. It's pretty clear that you're not going to accept this message because you're ridiculing me and I'm moving on. I'm moving on, but I'm not moving on from the city. I'm moving on from preaching the gospel to you, and I'm wanting to preach it to gospel, the gospel to people who are going to be receptive to it. And so he goes next door to the synagogue and begins to preach to the Jews uh, or to the Gentiles that come near there. And the application is this. The Jews thought that they had it right. The Jews in the Corinth thought that they had it right. They thought they knew what they needed to know about God. They thought that, that, that they knew uh, the truth about God, the truth about the Messiah, the truth about the Christ that it was, was to come, the truth about um, uh, God's people. They thought they knew the truth. And they laughed in the face of the real truth that Jesus had already come. And the application is this, is that in your circles, sometimes you run across people who think that they know the truth about God. And who think they know the truth about Jesus and think that they know the truth about Christianity. Some think they, that, that, they, that, they, that, that they're okay because they have a relationship, a relationship with Jesus. But it's not the God of the Bible. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. And some of them think that they're okay because they're good with God. But... They're not good with God in the way that the Bible describes, that you have to be good before God. The Bible says that the way that you're good before God is not by our own works. And by what we do, look, we can t- you come here week after week, sit in the same seat that you sit in, sing the same songs that you sing, and, and listen to the same messages over and over again, and read Scripture, and know it back and forwards, and memorize it. But if your dependence and your trust is not in the work of Jesus Christ, you don't have. And you run into people like that in your workplaces. You run into people like that in your schools. You run into people like that in your social circles. And here's what Paul is running into. He thinks he, he runs into people who think they know it. And they don't. And when he tells them the truth, they deny it. That's not the truth. That's not the truth. And see, guys, we're going to come across people. If you are doing your job as a Christian, what you are meant to do that Jesus gives us a clear, a clear commission to give. In Matthew chapter 28, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching, to, teaching them to observe what I have commanded, commanded you. You see, guys, we are called to bring the gospel out to these places that we are. You, each one of you as a believer and as, uh, as, as if you are a believer in this room, if you have the relationship with Christ, you are on mission. You may not be going across the seas to Africa. You may not be going to South America. You may not be going to China. But you are on mission where God has you. That is where you are on mission at. And you're going to come across people who just flat out reject the message. When we went through 411 training last year, um, uh, I, I noticed a lot, of, a lot of you in here were in that, in that training. It talked about like the three types of people that were receptive to the gospel, right? Your red lights, your yellow lights, and your green lights, okay? We all know what to do, although here in New Orleans, uh, people treat red light as a hurry up and go through, right? Uh, it, that, that's scary sometimes. So, it, 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 but we have the yellow lights, we have the green lights, we have the red lights, and sometimes 
we run into those red lights who just straight up reject and even maybe even ridicule us. And those are people that, hey, I'm not going to sit there and I'm not going to force the gospel down, down, down their throats. If I, that, I can passionately preach to them and I can passionately teach them and I can passionately tell them the gospel over and over and over again, but I cannot make them believe. I can't. I can't do that. So I share the gospel with them. And if they're uninterested, guess what I do? I look for the ones that are. (laughs) I look for the yellow lights. I look for the green lights. Those that are going to accept the message. Those who are going to joyfully accept it. Or at least interested in it that I could have further conversations with. And that is your job. As missionaries sent out into the world. Your job is to look for people that are receptive to the gospel. And this is what Paul does. He goes into the city. He looks for people and he says, you Jews, you're not receptive to the gospel. Guess what? I'm going to the people who are. I'm going to Gentiles and I'm going to preach to them. Notice that because this is your job. And so this is our plan for mission. So not only who are you working with, but who are you working uh, who are you working on? Have you identified those people who may be interested in the gospel? Are you, have you identified those people who, who, who might be green lights, so to speak, and they want the gospel? The next question is this, number three. Number three. I'm doing pretty good on time. Who are you working for? So the first one is who are you working with? The second one is who are you working on? The third one is, who are you working for? And this is a duh question, right? <laughs> we work for God. <laughs> we work for God, right? That's, that's the answer straight up. Let's look at 9 through 11. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. Let me stop right there. I didn't have this in my notes, but I just want to point this out. You, you notice the reason for confidence here? Do you notice the reason for our motivation to bring the gospel to a lost and dying world? Do you notice this, this, uh, uh, this, uh, this comfort and assurance to bring the gospel to the, to, to the dying world? He says, I am with you. He even says that in the Great Commission, right? He says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe that all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. That is our power in evangelism, guys. That is our power in sharing the gospel with a lost and dying world. Oh, I'm scared. I'm scared they're going to ridicule me. I'm scared. Don't be scared. He's with you. And he will be with you when you share the gospel to a lost and dying world in your context. Amen? That is such a good, a good reassurance, a good comfort. He says, for I am with you and no one will attack you and harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed there. Guess what? Second missionary journey. Didn't stay long in Philippi. Didn't stay long in Thessalonica. Didn't stay long in Berea. Didn't stay long in Athens. But he stayed here in Corinth. Sin City. Back in that day. Stayed there for how long? A year and six months. One year. Six months. Teaching the word of God among them. We work for God. Who do we work for? We work for God. But is this your mindset? When things look discouraging about the Jews, God gives Paul reassurance. He says, look, I am with you. I have placed you here for a reason. Keep speaking. 
I am with you. I have people here that I need to call unto myself, that need to come to me. Look, maybe you're in a place where you're like, man, this place is so immoral. (laughs) This place is so bad. I want to leave. I want out. I am not seeing, I I don't like being here in life. Maybe it's a job that you're in. Look, I just want to leave. I don't want to be here. Maybe it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a school. I can't wait to be out of this school uh, because I can't wait to move on to the next phase of my life because I just want to be done with this place, right? Have you ever been there before? I know I have in life. I've been there quite a few times in my life where I just want to, to, to be out. And sometimes, hey, look, God is gracious, and he leads us to the next place. And that is fine. That is dandy. That is all good. But sometimes God challenges you and says, stay. Stay where you are at. Even though you may not like it, even though you face immorality, even though you face people who reject you and revile you, even though you you face people who are definitely not godly, stay where you are at and keep speaking. Your job is not to do necessarily just your job that you're at right now, but your job is to spread the gospel in your context. Does this make sense? And so Paul, as he is uh, here in Sin City... God gives him the greatest encouragement and speaks to him directly and says, stay here, keep working. And Paul is trusting enough enough in God and so encouraged that he stays there for another 18 months preaching the word of God to them. When God tells us to stay and work, we obey. Do you view your situation like this? Has God, has God, uh, God has something for me until, until he tells me to move on. Is that your mentality? God, he, he has placed me here until he tells me to move on. So who do you work for? You work for the Lord who gives you direction. And when to stay, when to go. You work for the Lord. Who to tell you who to, 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 to share the gospel with? Number four, here's the next question. So we have... Who do you work with? Who are you working on? Who do you work for? And the next question is this. Who is working for you? Who is working for you? Let's go in, 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 in verse 12. But when Galileo, the proconsul of Achaia, uh, who was the proconsul of Achaia, um, the Jews made a united atta- a- a- attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, let's just stop right there. All right, so this is what happens. I I just want to catch you up on what happens. All right, you guys still with me? All right, so this is what happens. Paul's in here in Corinth for 18 months. He's spreading the gospel. He won't quit. The Jews hate him. The Jews revile him. And they capture Paul, and they say, we're going to take you before the leader. Now, normally, they would take Paul before the city magistrates, but they take him before the proconsul here, which is like a governor of the whole region. I don't have it on the screen anymore, but the whole region of Achaia, that bottom half there of Greece. He's, he's governor over the whole region here, and they're wanting to take him before him. And they say, hey, look. The Jews say, hey, look. This, Paul, this message that Paul's preaching is not Jewish. The Christians... What Paul is saying here, the Christians are not Jewish. They're not Jewish people. 
They are preaching a gospel that is contrary to Jewish teachings. So label this illegal and let us still have our freedom to, to, to worship our God how we want. And then we get into this, uh, to this uh, verse here. Verse 14. But when Paul was about to open his mouth to defend himself before the Jewish um, accusation here, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since this is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be the judge of these things. Then he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, a ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. This is a really important meeting. And it, it, you don't see it on the surface here. But like I said, Galileo is the governor of the region. Not only is he the governor, of the governor of the region, he is the brother to Seneca. And Seneca, he is the older brother to Seneca. And Seneca is like the emperor of Rome, his like right-hand man, like his tutor. He's have a very high, Seneca is very high up in the government. So Galileo, this governor, has a lot of pool with Rome. This decision here... All right. Basically, the decision is this. The Jews bring before uh, the governor, uh, Paul, and the decision is this. Is Christianity separate from Judaism? And if it is, Christianity needs to be squashed. Right. Or is Christianity the same as Judaism? And if so, let the Jews have their freedom to worship their God as long as they don't call, call us a ruckus. OK, that's the decision. Whatever decision that Galileo makes here. Is going to impact the next several years in the spread of the gospel. Because if he makes the decision the Christians should be squashed, then it's going to be really hard for the gospel to spread. It's going to be illegal, not only in this province, but it's going to set a precedent for the rest of the province, the rest of the Roman provinces. And so this decision is huge. But before Galileo even makes this, or before Paul can even speak up, Galileo already makes this decision. And he says, no, Jews, what Paul is preaching here and what Paul is teaching here, this is just another sect of Judaism. And you're arguing about laws, you're arguing about ancestors, you're arguing about all these things. That I rule that it's your own issue. Yet you're, they're all Jews, we ain't going to mess with them. And so what Galileo does here in this one encounter buys another 10 to 12 years of a sort of peaceful spread of the gospel until Nero comes on the scene and accuses the Christians of burning Rome and Christianity is heavily persecuted. Don't tell me that God did not have purposes for Paul being in Corinth here. Paul had pl- God had plenty of purposes for Paul being in Corinth to start the Corinthian church, to disciple them, and to give the Christians freedom to spread the gospel for the next 10 to 12 years. God had his purposes, and he has his purposes in your life. Now, when I say who's working for you, that question, I don't mean who is employed by you, but what I mean is who is working on your behalf. And it's clear here in this passage of Scripture that God is working on Paul's behalf here in this passage of Scripture. God is working on Paul's behalf. And just like that, God is working on our behalf. When we take up the mission of sharing the gospel with the immoral context and immoral culture that we are in, God is on our side. He fights for us. 
You might be in a situation where your, your job is threatened by sharing the gospel or your school is threatened by sharing the gospel or whatever is threatened by sharing the gospel. You keep speaking and you keep preaching and you keep sharing the gospel because God is on your side and he will work for you. And justice sometimes is, is hard in an immoral setting. And sometimes we go through persecution, but God still even works for us. And the last question is this. We'll end with this. What are you working toward? What are you working toward? I'll just quickly read these last few verses and we'll end. After this, Paul stayed many days longer. After Galileo made this important decision. And then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. And at Sincrea, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And then he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And thus ends the second missionary journey of Paul. Paul leaves Corinth. After this decision is made, he goes down to Ephesus. But guess who he brings with him? Priscilla and Aquila. And Ephesus is one of these original cities that Paul was wanting to go to. And God said no. So you figured he would stay there for a long time, but he didn't. He goes to preach to the, to, to the Jews in the synagogue, and they're interested. But Paul says, no, I'm not going to keep, keep with you. I'm going to leave Priscilla and Aquila here to disciple you. And then, as we'll see next week, Apollos comes in into the scene and begins preaching there in Ephesus. But the point is this. What are you working towards? What Paul was working toward here by leaving Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus, by, by, by staying a year and a half in Corinth, by uh, sending Silas and Timothy back up to the churches that he already planted, by leaving Luke, do you remember this a couple weeks ago? By leaving Luke in Philippi. See, Paul's not just after converts. He's not just after those who would believe all of a sudden. He's, he's after disciples. And he's making sure that people grow in their faith. So what about you? What are you working toward in the places that God has placed you in? Are you worried about making converts? Are you worried about those people who make the decision for Christ to disciple them? You have a plan in mind. So here's your plan for evangelism. Here's your plan for missions. Okay, this, I love this word that we can get this awesome plan from, that Paul even, that, that Paul, Paul's experience here in Corinth, we can get this plan for, from. Who are you working with? Link up with other Christians. That's step number one. Who are you working on? Find people who are receptive to the gospel. Who are you working for? Depend and keep praying to the Lord. Who's working for you? Trust that God is going to do something great in the work, in the immoral cultures that he has placed you within. And what are you working toward? Come with a plan for discipleship for those who accept Christ in your workplaces, in your school. And keep taking the gospel out to those who are lost and dying. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.